It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch, brought to you by Blackstone Motors Summer Sales Event. Get low as can be APR, zero deposit, and finance arranged within four hours. There's never been a better time to get to Blackstone Motors, Dundalk, Drogheda, or Cavan. You're very welcome to Friday Afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Now, I want to start today with a couple of emails that's come to me in the last 48 hours. They're short ones, so I'll read them for you and you'll get the gist of what we're going to talk about for the next while. Jerry, we purchased our first home last year and we're delighted to have our own place. However, in recent months, our sleep is disturbed early in the morning, not by neighbours, but a racket on the roof. We have a gull's nest with chicks and they're causing quite a nuisance. We we need some help, please. What can be done? That comes in from Siobhan. And almost immediately, ironically, a, a few hours later, this appeared. Some time ago, Jerry, you spoke to a man about gulls and the problem in Balbriggan. Take a look at this picture. And we received a picture and I've posted it across social media, taken in our back garden, garden last evening. Yes, it's a baby gull on the ground, which is being cared for by its parents. Problem is, we can't let our dog or child out into the garden now as the adult birds swoop and attack. It's shocking. Can you or your listeners suggest a solution? And that's from Karen in Drogheda. And the boats are on the north side of Drogheda, I can tell you these issues. Well, that man from Balbriggan is back on the line with me. He's Tom Cardiff. He's Secretary of Balbriggan Community Committee. Afternoon, Tom. Afternoon, Jerry. How are you? I'm good. You've heard those two short messages I've got in the last while to my email uh, from people who have this problem. Can I ask you first, what can they do, Tom? Just hold on one second, Jerry. Oh, <laughs> go ahead there. So, all right, just knock it off there because you'll, we, we'll be re- reverberating everywhere around the northeast and beyond. Are you all right there now? Good now, yes. Yeah, that's grand. So, Tom, for the, for those two particular two those two cases there, what can be done? Okay, well, uh, take for any case where there's goals. There are two just examples. There would be several other kind of examples. The only uh, option available to anyone with that kind of problem is to get onto the National Parks and Wildlife Service in Smithfield in Dublin. The Wildlife Licensing Unit is the place which deals with this, right? And there's a procedure that's followed whereby they will book an appointment for a ranger to come out to your property, your business, your hospital or whatever and uh, arrange for the ranger to inspect the the problem. That ranger will then make a report back to the department and somebody in the legal side of the department will assess whether the law allows for any intervention in the situation. Now, sometimes they will permit you to remove a nest. Sometimes they will relocate chicks. 
However, the the process is a case by case process, and there's an increasing number of these, obviously, with the gold problem expanding. And very often, nothing can be done this year, and you'll get advice about putting up spikes at nets next year to try and deter the goals. So that's, in a nutshell, what, what's available to people or businesses or any, any premises that has the problem. OK, Tom, if you put up nets and wires and spikes and that, you people in Belbriggan have been through this. Will it prevent them coming back next time round? And will they come back to the same area and their offspring as well? Well, it's, your question is, is very good, Jerry. Our experience is that once a, a pair has success on a location, they develop a huge loyalty to that location. And we've seen them building on top of spikes. We've seen them breaking spikes. We've seen them padding spikes with sods and cloths. And we have houses where they've 9, 10, 12 sets of spike on the roof and they just keep moving around them. So the short answer is, and this again, this problem is not... It's a big problem across Europe. Seagulls are determined and they will find a way. So the the real solution that exists in the UK and across Europe is systematic removal of nests uh, and managed services that are provided by local authorities in, in areas where there are high-density colonies established. Mm. And that's where Ireland is falling short. We're way behind the rest of the UK and Europe on, on acknowledging the problem and on doing something about it. Now, they're prolific breeders as well, aren't they? They have many chicks each year, three, is it? Well, we see, very often we see three. We, you know, they either have two or three, and uh, the ecology of the birds is, is something people don't realise. They're very long-lived. They, they can live for up to 40 years, and uh, hens can breed for up to 25 years. And they have a habit that at four years they, they come back to breed as close as possible to where they were hatched. So in practical terms, that means on school buildings or hospitals. I think the Lourdes has had several problems over the years with this. They they tend to spread out as colonies with young birds coming back to nest close to parents. So in a few years, you can have 8, 10, 12, or up to 20 nests, as we've seen on camera studies in Balbriggan and Houghton Scaries. This is bad news, real bad news for those people and others who have goals. I want to say to people, anyone got goals on their roofs or a problem with this, give us a shout. We want to hear from you. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text 1850 if you'd like care to call in or across our social media platforms. Now, you said there, I want to pick up on something. We're behind the UK and Europe on this. Why? Yes. Well... In 2016, the Department of Culture, Heritage and Gaeltacht, who, who is the department with the responsibility for this, the National Parks and Wildlife is an office within that, right? They acknowledged to us that uh, when we closed the Balele landfill dump here um, in Lusk, a large number of gulls moved into the towns in pursuit of food. And that's the experience across Europe as well, that uh, as we improve waste management of human food waste, we get more and more goals coming into the urban areas. The other reason the bird people say they come in is because the rooftops are predator-free. They're protected in the sense of from winds or from... It's a cosy environment. So the rest of Europe... I mean, I'll give you the flagship example. In August 2016, the Dutch Supreme Court overturned a ruling in 2014 that delayed the authorities in Amsterdam from having a systematic nest and egg removal program on public health and safety grounds. They had an injunction from the Birdwatch equivalent in Holland, it's called the Dutch Fauna Federation. So the three local authorities in Amsterdam took it to the Supreme Court and they won the ruling that on 13 counts that they overturned each of the district court rulings and re-established systematic 
nest and egg removal from locations where the birds shouldn't be. Right. There's no, there's no killing of birds involved. Yeah. So if you have 20 or 30 seagull nests on a hospital, on a care home, on a, or 10 nests in, a, re, in a, a resident association, or 20 nests on a school, they don't belong there and they cause serious, serious problems. Not a lot more than what your two emails listed. Like the, the real impacts are the constant noise needs to be understood that if you're driving a bus for your living and you're awake for seven months of the year from three o'clock in the morning, 22-7, the Road Safety Authority on their website at the moment says you're not fit to get behind the wheel of a car if you're tired or a bus or a taxi and you're not fit to operate machinery that can injure you if you lapse your concentration from tiredness. Um, we spoke to shift workers coming off 12 o'clock, 12 hour shifts and trying to go to bed at 8 o'clock in the morning in the States with 20 and 30 nests in them. And this, is, this noise problem is, it needs to be understood in that context rather than as a nuisance context. And remember, Jerry, I'm talking about estates where we have high-density colonies that have established because they're not being resisted. Mm. The thing is this, and I hear what you're saying, and it is, it's one of the facets of the problems that these creatures cause. I do want to say a cause. I do want to say one thing. We, we, they are protected under legislation in this country. But here's the thing. You guys in Balbriggan have been on the case here for a number of years now, and you've been granted a derogation. What does that mean, and how effective has it been? Okay, well, the derogation is is part of general European law. Derogations permit you to waive the law in which the derogation has been embedded into the legislation. So in the case of wildlife and birds, there's a, there's a blanket protection on all birds, right? And then in the same legislation, in, in, in the case of the Birds Directive, it's Article 9.1, right? It says the following reasons are reasons why you can waive the protections that are described in the law. And in the case of boards, Article 91A is for reasons of public health and safety. 91B is for airplane safety, that you can't have board strikes bringing down aircraft. Yeah. 91C is to protect farm crops, food crops, grain stores and things like that. And D, I think, is for protecting other species of mammals and birds that are maybe predated, in this case, by the herring gull. So they are coded into the law as the legal basis on which the, the protections no longer apply. Mm. And it's a, a matter for the Department of National Parks and Wildlife within the, the Department of Culture, Heritage and Gwaltop to apply those derogations where they're necessary. And this is where things break down. The department only operates its case-by-case 30-year-old system that I described to you earlier where you apply for a license and it takes six to eight weeks before the guy can come out and the, the eggs are already hatched at 30 days. Mm. So what the department, in our view, needs to do is move to a general licensing derogation system which says these locations, such as homes, care homes, hospitals, restaurants, pubs, food places, are not suitable to allow uh, herring gulls to nest in established colonies. So there's a general license issued which says you're, you're, you're legally entitled to remove nests from all of these locations. And... You have to do it systematically for several years to break the cycle because four-year-olds come back, but you've got three-year-olds and two-year-olds and one-year-olds in the system that will also be coming back when they're four. So most of the contract programs across the UK and Northern Europe are for five years renewable until they break the cycle. Now, you ask me, does it work? 
The best way I could describe to you how it works is if you were living in a house where there were six nests on it last year, I mean, think about six herring gold nests with 12 adults and 18 eggs mm. on a semi-detached house in a housing estate. If you're living in that house and you're able to remove them, that's the person who will tell you whether it works or not. Yes. Or if your children are going to a school where there's 21 nests on the roof of the school and the teachers, for safety reasons, keep the children in for their lunch breaks until the holidays come because of being aggressively foraged by 70 or 80 seagulls, those parents will tell you it's a shame our children don't get into the yard, but they agree with the teachers keeping them in. And that, that has happened. You're telling me that is de facto. This is happening. Children ha- can't go out because of them. Not only is that happening, what the children are doing to get around it is they pretend they've eaten their lunches. So they're not actually eating their lunches. So the parents and grandparents have showed us and told us that they come home with a bite out of their sandwich or their bar or their snack because if they stay in to finish their lunch, they lose most of their time in the yard. So this has been reported, not by us, this has been reported by a principal of a school in Scaries. The Loretta Winbalbrigan has written to us to ask us to give the information to this chairman of this committee that has now been set up by the minister. Called, it's a consultative committee on urban seagull issues, which we, as two, we have two citizen members on that committee. And it has met its first meeting in June. Now, sitting around the table, we have representatives from Boardwatch Ireland. We have members of the department. We have an independent chairman. We have the local authority. So we're two civilians retired. And so far at the moment, ours is the only voice speaking up for citizens, for the impact of this problem on citizens. The department is saying it's not competent in public health matters, although it issues licenses for public health and safety. Boardwatch are very good at their job. They, they, they're there for the birds. They want to protect the birds. Yes. And that's, we have total respect for that. They, they're there to do their job. It's not their job to deal with the issues affecting citizens. It's the department's job. But the department continues to be dogged, resist, 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 minimal response, minimal response. So the only reason Balbriggan succeeded in getting a, dele- a delegation was through the persistent efforts of our five TDs, all five of them, including the government TD, but all five of our TDs and our three councillors persistently stuck their heads over the parapet when politicians were being ridiculed about this problem and said this is a serious problem. This is people's lives we're talking about. It's not just a few seagulls. This is serious and they kept it up and kept it up and to, to Minister Humphrey's credit in 2017, our, our information from the TDs was that she told the department put a derogation in place in Balbriggan. So listen, Tom, you have had the derogation. You've dealt uh, with this through the derogation, I take it, in removing nests and eggs. And that, this derogation, will that happen every year or must you reapply? It, it, the department keeps saying it's annual and up for renewal, right? But the best way I can characterise the, the department's position is it has moved in millimetres at the least amount for the, least, for, for the maximum pressure. Right. Uh, so that the department has behaved that way for reasons we believe we understand, which relate to resources and issues with the commission and compliance with other parts of the directive. So if you want to go into that, we can give you all the details. Yeah, there. no, we'll, we'll leave that for another time because time is going to beat me here. I just want to talk to you about a couple of quick things before we finish. Yeah, I think y- that the y- derogation works. Yeah, right? the, the derogation is working and you're going to reapply and keep that going. No, no, for we, we, we haven't reapplied. We're waiting to see will the department move to realise 
that this is a necessary recurring okay. measure. Yes. So the consultative committee that the minister set up is to run for two years. And that committee is meant to issue an inter-report in, I think, in two to three months' time. Okay. And that interim report is where we are now looking to see if this department actually turns around and becomes citizen-focused on this problem. But our concern is that the department has exposure to getting a bloody nose from the European Commission because they haven't counted the urban seagulls. And they're supposed to have the count of them before they give the derogations. Mm. But it's going to cost a hell of a lot of money to count them, and it's extremely difficult to do. Fingal County Council counted them in Babrigginhoft and Scaries in a few small areas as a sample project. It cost €15,000, and it took five and a half months to look at the footage. Now, if you have to count them from Drogheda to Galway to Cork to Atlone to Waterford to all the cities around the country that are experiencing... Very, and Dublin, the different degrees of this problem are worsening. You can see why it's such a big job. A huge, huge job. Tom, I have to leave it there, but will I tell you something? I, I'm coming back to this because uh, I, I'm a dog with a bone now at this at the moment, and I have put a request into the National Parks and Wildlife Service, who came back to me this morning and said that they hadn't anybody available today, but they are going to put forward somebody next week. So we'll come back to you if that's okay. Is that all right? Uh, that's fine. And I think that, you know, this is, if, you're, if, you're, if you have this bone, as you say, the, the responsibility rests with that department yes the legislation is under the control of that department and the minister has the political and public administration authority to deal with the problem but our experience is if anyone is listening you see who's getting across to them how serious this problem is our experience in Balbriggan is the department does not act proactively on the issue and has to be the, the only way you get any movement at all from the department is constant agitation and we give a huge thanks to our five TDs and our three councillors because when they did stick their necks out, the papers, the media were making a total joke of this issue. And they looked at it and said, we're going to be ridiculed here. But they had, they had the honesty and the courage to go and say, this is a ridiculous problem. It's impacting a huge number of lives. And it's out of control at the rate at which these boards are reproduced. Okay, Tom, I want to leave it there for today and I will be back to you. I thank you for joining me on the show today and we will be picking up on this again in the near future. Thanks a million, Tom. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Tom Cardiff there, Secretary of the Balbriggan Community Committee. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors for exclusive 192 offers on all things Renault and Dacia and the full Renault commercial van range. Get down to Blackstone Motors showrooms in Dundalk or Drogheda today. Yes, it's Friday afternoon on late lunch, end of the week. And I have to confess that this morning I shed a little tear in the office. I did, folks. I really did, because I had the privilege of watching a brilliant movie called The Bridge. And The Bridge has massive connections with County Meath. And we're going to talk about it and hear the music from it this next while on late lunch, because I'm delighted to welcome... It's director Mark Smith is here with me. Mark, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks very and much, also Jerry. joining us is someone you've met on, people you've met on Late Lunch before. Yes, Sarah Mae Leach is here and Cormac O'Keefe. And they're collectively known now as Pearly. You're welcome. Thanks, Great Thanks. to see Thanks you for all. Having us on, oh, Jerry. not at all. Thank you. Here. I did shed a tear, Mark Smith, this morning in the office. Oh, well. It's 
very, very special what you've created, may I say. Congratulations. Thanks very much, Sherry. Yeah, we're, we're delighted with it as a piece now. It's, it's, uh, it's been a real journey getting to this point, but excited now to, to get an audience and to, to show it to the world, you know? Something like this takes time. Who came up with the concept first? Yeah. So the, this, the film was written by a really talented writer. Her name is Sarah Ingersoll. And basically, the way this film came together was that the Galway Film Centre and RTE, they run a talent development scheme. And basically, yeah, they put a call out to put together a film. So they selected Sarah's script. And then I was lucky enough to be selected as the director. And then um, Lynn Larkin came on board as producer. And together, the three of us just uh, started collaborating and, and we made the film together. So we, we, we shot it on location in the burn. And actually in Meath as well, we shot a lot of it in Meath, uh, outside my hometown in Kells, out in Grove Gardens. Uh, keep it Kells, you know. <laughs> keep it Kells yeah. is right. Keep Kells it is class. <laughs> Absolutely. We were there this day last week for the Hinterland ah, Festival. Yeah. And what a show we had, I have to say, it was marvellous. So that is the genesis of the way it all began. Where do you come in and wh- when are you involved? When do you start being involved? Yeah, so basically the way it worked was like I was uh, I was handed the, the scripts. The script was passed on to me. I had been shortlisted as one of the directors and I had to basically pitch um, how I envisioned this film and how I imagined it all coming together. And uh, I guess when I, when I, when I read it, uh, initially I wasn't sure if it was a story that, that I was going to be able to tell. But then... The more I read it, the more I connected with it, and it was really it was uh, it was the character of of own uh, in the story that really resonated with me. So basically, to give you a sense of what the film's about, it's basically about a guy called Cormac, who's a very successful bridge architect engineer living in Canada. Gets a phone call, finds himself back in the west of Ireland because unfortunately his his parents have been killed in a car accident. Mm. So when he comes home, we're, we we meet his brother Owen, who's who's played by Peter Coon and Lachlan O'Maran actually plays the lead, uh, Cormac, and uh, yeah, we were introduced to Owen, who who's a character with a brain injury, and uh, I guess Cormac now has to bury his parents, but also he's the next of kin for his brother Owen, and I suppose his his situation is that he he he's very resistant to it. He's kind of a workaholic. He's go, go, go. He just wants to box everything up and get back to his perfect life in Canada. And uh, I guess it's ultimately, you know, it's a story about uh, reconciliation for the brothers and, and redemption f- for Cormac. Yes, and may I say it's a situation that people may find themselves in and do and Absolutely. have and will in the future. Whereas sibling has to take responsibility for another sibling on the passing of parents. Yeah, absolutely. It is a universal story in that sense. And, and I guess, like, I, I, I hope that when, when an audience watched the film, they might, you know, they'll ask themselves, what would I do if I was in that situation? The whole way through the film, it's basically the two worlds of the brothers coming together. So, like, Cormac's world is probably more from something that us as we would be more familiar to, to his world and his experience. But then Owen's perception... Uh, which is kind of my window in as a director when I kind of realised because he has a brain injury he, he views the world differently he, time moves differently for him the, the burn is essentially his playground and I guess I thought that you know as a director that's a really interesting um, way to look at the film because like it's a way in it's a, it's a way of like showing the audience how he perceives the world so being able to kind of even with camera angles and the, the stylistically show his perception of the world that that for me was like really interesting mm. and, and I think that that kind of comes across in the film too. It certainly does. And the bridges, the title of it, you know, the bridge, because there is a connection between Canada and 
yeah. back home. Yeah, most definitely, yeah. So, yeah, like, um, yeah, we're, we're, I guess we're just really excited to get it. We had, like, to get it out there. I mean, it was just amazing to work with with such a brilliant cast, mm-hmm. uh, Lachlan and Peter. And then we had Marie Mullen, who's a Tony uh, Award-winning uh, actor. She's an absolute legend. Uh, and they were just powerful. And yes. to kind of collaborate with them, uh, for me, was it just, it was a huge honour. And it's definitely, it was it's the most most amazing filmmaking experience today you know can i say this to you it's about what 14 minutes is it yeah it's just under 15 minutes i never thought that 14 minutes on the screen could have such an impact and tell such a wonderful story yeah thank you it, it, it definitely packs a punch and there's oh, a, really it, there's a lot in there and i, I think as well that's that's kind of like that's the biggest yeah uh, that's that's the biggest kind of task you know to try mm. and get everything in there and uh, and to to kind of make it work as a story and have a have a balance to it all that boy have you made it work you really nice have one. thank you Jerry. let's bring in the musical end of this yeah, and these two legends here story look at them sitting here beside you hanging on every word that you're saying <laughs> there Sarah May Leach and Cormac O'Keefe you're both very welcome to late lunch thanks Jerry you are the people who've provided. The music for this wonderful movie, yes? Yes, we met Mark through, you're saying all the Mead connections. It was actually way back, I think, at the Hay Festival or a Hinterland Festival, we met a friend, Michael Brunnock. And then through Michael and his work with Dee Kinnahan, we met Mark. So, um, and then we lived in Kells. So we just got friendly with Mark, loved his energy. And we saw Leap of Faith. We went and did the co-club together in Oldcastle and saw his previous short film, Leap of Faith. Um, and then I, I guess when the script came up, Mark Mark called us and asked us, would we be interested in, in writing a score for the movie? We watched the script or read the script and loved it. And then when he sent us a cut of the movie, we were blown away. Mm. I mean, it's just... <laughs> it's not just me then, folks. No. You hear Sarah May there? No, it yes. had a big effect on us. Yeah, it's, it's, it does. it's very, very, very moving. And it's like the story was very powerful to read on the script and then to see the way it's shot. And like Mark is saying about Owen, his world is so dreamy Mm. and it's very kind of slow. It's the opposite of Cormac's world, you know, and I guess our music is is quite dreamy and big. So it just it was a good fit Mm. for us. So how does this work, Cormac? Explain to the um, to me, who doesn't know? So you get the script and you you get the whole premise of what this is going to be yeah. about, and then you have to set about your task. Well, I guess we were learning on the job, Jerry, because it's the first type of this is the first time we've done something like this. And I guess um, you know when you're when you're writing songs, you're you're trying to I guess capture the listener, but this was a quite different uh, experience because you're you're creating a soundscape for the visuals that are happening on screen, so you, it needs to be there, but not not demanding uh, the listener's attention because obviously the narrative is, is important so it was lovely for us to just experiment with all that and to sort of you know build a kind of a, a world with musically that that supported um, what we were seeing on screen and that was it was really great fun and um, yeah we just really enjoyed the whole experience so I guess we we were you know you get as Sarah May said you get the cut of the film and uh, you're trying to figure out what sort of yes. mood or atmosphere musically works for the particular scene and yeah that's that's how we but it is so it. important if you ever watch any type of movie that the music that you know exactly. underpins yeah it's the what, emotional heartbeat yeah yes yeah very much so it's, it's a vital it's part the, of it the cherry on top yeah and by god the cherry's on top of this one for sure most will we have definitely. a listen to it let's have a listen will yeah, we yeah, introduce it come definitely. on Sarah May introduce yourselves 
this is a song called Bird in the Statue and this recording was actually, it was recorded in Kells so you can hear the peacocks of uh, the courtyard shop in Kells on the beginning of this track. You have to listen hard now. You have to listen hard. <laughs> but it's the, it's the, uh, the track at the end of the movie and it's, I suppose, when we come a little bit more to the fore. Okay, yeah. so let's track. have a listen and we'll come back and chat more in a couple of minutes. Thanks, Jerry. Yes, from the movie The Bird. That's the song, The Bird and the Statue from the movie The Bridge. We're talking about it on Late Lunch this afternoon. We have Mark Smith, the director, with us. And we're going to hear some live music in a moment in the studio here from Sarah May Leach and Cormac O'Keefe, who are together known as Pearly. Stay with us on Late Lunch. We're on radio, but we've suddenly appeared on Facebook Live as well. Hello to everybody out there. We're all in studio having a real good time this Friday afternoon. The Bridge is the name of the movie. Make a note of it. Make sure you see it. It's director Mark Smith is here with us in the house. And the wonderful people who provide the soundtrack, the score, Sarah May Leach and Cormac O'Keefe are here from Perley as well. I want to come back to you for a second, Mark, because I'm sure listeners are saying, Jerry, you, you cried at this movie. You enjoyed it so much. You're recommending it. Where will they be able to see it? Yes, yeah, so we're very, very lucky that the film is going to premiere next week on Saturday the 13th of July at the Galway Film Flat. It's going to have its world premiere. So that's going to be on at 10, 10 a.m., 10 that morning in the Town Hall Theatre with a... With it, it's kind of in a block of 
of a number of brilliant shorts. So just yes. we're absolutely delighted to be to be part of it because it's it's a great festival. It is the number one festival in it, this country. It is. It's it's it is the the number one. You know, it's the one you really want a premiere at. So we're we're delighted to to have been selected and to be part of it. It's amazing for us. You know. And then after that, where do you hope it goes? No, no. Before you say, yeah. The last. What was the last one you did? The last one was called Leap of Fate. So that was like a sci-fi thriller. Uh, again, funded by RTE, uh, another short film. And, and that premiered at Galway two, two years ago. And we had a really great run with that. You we, had, that's what I'm saying. A, we got a lot of accolades. We were so thankful for it. Uh, it was brilliant. Uh, we, it, it played on Aer Lingus. Aer Lingus picked it up. We had the RTE Concert Orchestra record the score for it. And now HBO Europe have since picked it up too. So they have it as part of their Terrific. kind of program. So yeah, yeah. The shorts have a way of kind of taking a life of their own. They do. So that's what you're hoping for with this, that it'll be picked up and it'll take wings and fly. Sure. I I guess as well with it, you just want an audience to see and you just want an audience to resonate with it. At the end of the day, you know, the story is beautiful and a lot of kind of, uh, a lot of work went in from so many talented people uh, and just hope that it gets an audience and, and that if people, you know, if it resonates with people and they kind of take the message out of it. Can I tell you, and I'm talking to the microphone and I'm talking to people on Facebook Live today, see this movie called The Bridge. Will it resonate? Will it hell? It'll resonate with everybody, not alone in this country, but all over the world. You've got to see this, folks. It is fantastic. And you will understand what I'm saying when you see it. So keep an eye out for it. It's called The Bridge, world premiere Galway, and then all over the world please God appreciate that oh no Thank not you. at all congratulations again Anna. and I am waxing lyrical and I don't care because I really <laughs> feel like that today and that's why I'm in this mode back to Sarah May and uh, her good man Cormac let's talk to you two uh, for a moment about Berlin and moving to Berlin first off tell me again where did you meet we met in the lantern. Ah, we're all Watergate Street. we're all great love stories begin. <laughs> the lantern and Navin. <laughs> the glamorous hotspot of the lantern. I love the lantern. Yeah, there was a, a good uh, music night, the vigilante sessions. Yeah, the back room session. The back room. Was, yeah. I played with Leo Mulligan, another yeah. Kells guy. Yeah. Uh, we played a gig and I met Cormac there after that show. The rest is the history. The rest is history. <laughs> Why Berlin? What what prompted the move there? We went there 10 years ago and just loved it. And we kept yeah. saying, oh, we'll go back. We'll move to Berlin one day. And then a friend of mine said, when are you go?" And I said, where? And she went, Berlin, you never shut up about it. <laughs> <laughs> so I told him, I said, do we keep talking about Berlin? He said, yeah. I was like, right, let's go. So we went and uh, we've been there two years. Lovely. And we're having a whale of a time. And you are busy. Yes, you're, I just saw the list of credits rolling there. You're doing a lot over there, aren't you? Yeah, we've, well. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I guess the first, the first 18 months we were there, we were very, very hectic just playing as much as we could and just trying to, um, you just trying to kind of immerse ourselves in the, in the, in the music scene over there. Um, and we were lucky to get great help from um, actually a couple from Trim who are also doing the same thing as us, Rufus and Jess. Uh, they're in a band called Rufus Coats and the Black and Trees. And they had kind of uh, done what we're doing, but a little bit before us. So they were able to tell us the pitfalls mm. and the things to do and the places to avoid and the places to go. So, um, yeah, and there's a really healthy kind of Irish music community there. So it's lovely to kind of tap into that. And mm. um, yes, it's, it's great fun. And we, we, uh, we recorded back in, we actually came back to Ireland to record in January up in Newry in a place called Analog Catalogue with a wonderful producer from Manchester called Julie McLaren. And so at the moment we're just working on putting the finishing touches to those recordings. So we'll have, we'll have our first release as Pearly later on this year, hopefully in the autumn. So Terrific. that's what we're at. You have to come back to me, won't you then? Oh, Promise you'll me. you'll have us, yeah. Oh, will I? What? <laughs> Anytime that door is open for you guys. Hey, Thanks, I used Jerry. to think that Donegal people were clannish. Ah. But the more I'm listening today to all you mead folk and all the interconnections that you have... I'm only half Donegal. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mum's from Bunkrana. I yeah. knew there was something there that links back to them because <laughs> they are the people who look out for their own no matter where they go in this country <laughs> or the world. But you know something? Isn't it great, though, the county thing is important? It is, isn't it? It, it is, it and, is. You know, yeah. how we associate and, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, yeah, even even just the whole sense of community. Like, when we when we filmed some of the bridge in Meath, we, we shot there for a couple of days and people rallied around. There was so much mm. goodwill in terms of helping out and, and everybody was so excited. So, yeah, and then I guess even just having met these guys and being able to collaborate with these guys, it, it means a lot, you know, the, yeah. whole, the whole community thing and... Yeah, I see. I see. Tullahan's town bog is even credited when the it credits roll. Yeah, we shot end. a bit in Bowermean, and they, yeah. everyone out there was was wonderful, so helpful. And You're all in it, folks. You are there, and and the burn and Claire as well. It just the synergy between the two is absolutely beautiful. Well, look. I'm delighted you all came today to late Thanks lunch. I for truly us. am. And Sarah May put this on foot some time ago and said, "Will you have us? Will you what?" Uh, <laughs> and look, Mark, I want to say to you again. Congratulations Thanks, and Harry. good luck in Galway and beyond. And really well appreciate done to you. that. Oh, Thanks no, so much. Great. You're a great guy. So, are you going to do it for me, Pearly? Yes, yeah, you're going we'll to play out, will you, please? Give it a, give it we'll a what do, are you going to say? Uh, we'll do a song called Conditions to Thrive, and it's about I grew 10 sunflowers on our balcony in Berlin last Love summer. Love it. So it's about them. Let's hear it.
heaven <laughs> absolutely beautiful please get that album out ASAP <laughs> thank you, thank you if that's an indication of what's to come we cannot cannot wait absolutely beautiful Sarah May Leach and Cormac O'Keefe collectively known as Pearly on Late Lunch this afternoon thank you so much for joining us and again to Mark Smith director of The Bridge thanks a lot folks thanks, thanks Jerry. Jerry. Tommy Rogers is listening in. Good afternoon, Tommy. Delighted to hear the feature on The Bridge, the movie, and he wanted to mention Boyerstown and the Rogers Brothers and Bohemian Bog as well. Nice to hear from you, Tommy. Aren't they lovely people? They really are, and they have a winner on their hands there in The Bridge, believe me. Now, it's day three at Town Races with a full race card. First race off at ten past five. And listen to this. If you're in Drogheda, there are buses, free buses, running from the Abbey Car Park in Drogheda Town Centre to Town Racecourse. They leave an hour before the start so 10 past 4 they go today for the 5.10 race you need to be there before that it's free you'll be there for the races and 30 minutes after the last race they promise they'll bring you back home an offer you can't refuse good luck to them day 3 ladies day and gents best dressed at Bellewstown now Louise my producer 
put an article on my desk and I can tell you it's a substantial article because it's from the Irish Examiner newspaper on Tuesday and it's a full page feature and the headline says Paradise is being lost to commercial fishing and this certainly rocked my clock and I said I'm going to have a chat about this on Late Lunch this week. Ashley Hayden is the man who wrote the article. He's a lifelong angler and he's on the line. Hello Ashley. Yeah. Hi, Jerry. How are you? I'm very Thanks good. For having me on the show. Not at all. I'm delighted. I'm a fellow angler, so when I saw this, I said I want to highlight what this man is writing about. The Beara Peninsula. It's been your dream to fish there for years. Well, I found out about it when a friend of mine married an artist down there going back into the early 2000s. And at that stage, I was in the early 40s, and I said, how did this place escape me? Because I would fish in a puddle and... I was brought up on sea fishing. Uh, my family comes from Greystones, both sides. And um, I was brought up with it with my uncles and me and my father and in the sea fishing in particular when it was good on the East Coast because it's not good anymore. Mm. Um, and I've written about that and talked about that ad nauseum since the early to mid-90s. So when I found this place, I couldn't believe it because within everything that's gone on around the coast in Ireland, this was just like... Uh, a Garden of Eden, an aquarium. It was like the old days. And um, it has been so... From when I discovered it in the early 2000s, I started fishing in about 2005. And I met a, a, a man who's become a friend of mine down there, Jerry, uh, a, a man from England called Roger Ball, who been going there since 97. Mm. And every single year, uh, it presented exactly as we saw it the year before. And you had fishing that was unbelievable we've caught 19 species of fish off the shore down there mm. um, it's like boat fishing from the shore there's places where you could fish in 100 foot of water and you you could get congers you could get ling I've never caught ling yet but I've seen photographs of ling that w- were caught by shore anglers that would reach up to 20 pound I've had congers to 30 pound off it I've had pollock to just close on 10 pound and I've no people have caught them up to fourteen pound. Um, that I could go on. Yes. And just in the last few years, we've noticed a change. And I didn't go down last year, probably for the first time. Um, normally, we go every year, sometimes twice a year. I'm going twice this year. Yeah. Um, when you get an opportunity from work, and I just said when we saw what we saw, and when we experienced what we experienced, which on certain marks was a complete dearth of fish compared to what it used to be I said there's gill netting going on here uh, and it was proved we saw it in in operation and we just I just said I've got to I've got to write letters to all and sundry about this and um, the Irish examiner picked up on it Mm. and I didn't write to them they picked up on it and they contacted me yeah, well, you wrote a brilliant piece, let me say, Ashley, and I, I, I just want to come back to the nub of this so as listeners understand. Look, it was marvellous down there for years. 19 species of fish, loads of fish, off the rocks, off the shore, no problem. And yes. most of them you returned, you kept a few for the pot, we understand that. Yes. But since 2014, the fish have disappeared altogether. You mentioned gill netting. No, not disappeared. You can see a decline. Okay, right. Uh, I have to be clear about that. The, the article is more or less, the headline would suggest what will happen if it continues. Uh, m- management process isn't put in place. Okay, that's fair enough. I hear what you're saying. Now tell our listeners, or explain to them please, gill netting. What do you mean by gill netting? Well, 
gill nets have been around for decades uh, and essentially they're made of monofilament and um, we use monofilament line it's it's for for fishing reels mm. you use it too I yes, believe yes. you're a fisherman too yeah, yeah. and um, but monofilament gill nets are serious fishing engines and uh, they are in effect they can't be seen as such mm. but they are so adept at catching fish. And if you have, as we saw the other day, 500 metres in one net, and it's a fixed net, and you anchor it at both ends and you have a buoy uh, at each end, so that that's relative to the tide, north or south or east or west, or whatever way the tide is flowing, so that you, can, you, will, you, will, you will shoot it with the tide and you will, you will then haul it with the tide. Mm. You leave it for a soak period, which could be up to 24 hours, uh, the bottom line with monofilament gill nets is that, relatively speaking, they're cheap. Mm. And if they're lost in a storm, that net will not break up like, like an old cotton net, say, for argument's sake, would have done, and just in time dissolve. These yokes will stay fishing for years. Okay. so And, the, bench, they... and that is... That is so there's two sides to it. That's why I wrote about it. And that's why, in my opinion, they should be banned in Irish coastal waters and other fishing methods used instead. Okay, because so I what... come from a fishing background, yeah. an artisan family fishing background. I didn't go down that route, but I could have. The thing is about the nets, I just want to come back to this. So what they do is in small boats, they go out, they cast these nets in near the shore. They're invisible to fish. Fish swim into them and they're caught. And they're taking quite a quantity of decent fish out, which means that the catches are well down. You're calling for them to be banned. Uh, What what, what would replace them? You're talking about sustainability there. Well, in this area, for argument's sake, it's a model for, for what you would term line fishing. Mm. So for argument's sake, you could line fish for the pollock. You will, you will get... They, line fishing is less discriminate, indiscriminate, I should say, than a net which, which anything can swim into. Mm. Uh, and with regard to line fishing, you could target species. So for argument's sake, you could line fish for mackerel down here. You could line fish for pollock down here. You could line fish for cod down here. There's plenty of ways that local fishermen could actually uh, fish, get a higher value product, because a fish out of a net as against a fish out of a line, the line fish will, will, will fetch more in the market than, than a net caught fish. Mm. Uh, so you're getting a higher quality product and you're able to, to manage the fishing better because you're targeting the fish that you're going after rather than just having everything go into the net. They could pot in this area Instead of you, if you lay tangle nets, which again will be monofilament, tangle nets can be laid to catch uh, the likes of crayfish, crab, or lobster. Now, equally, they could swim into and be caught in a gill net. Mm. Uh, so, if you were to argument say get the fishermen in the in the local area to line fish, especially in this area, and or pot you are actually in a... It's a part of a management process which would actually yes. protect the fishery. No, I hear, I hear what you're saying. You're managing it. And line, we talk about, it's setting lines with hooks on them and the fish take the bait and well, yeah, you, you, you haul them in and you have your catch there. You leave it out overnight or whatever. 
you could long line yes. like I would have done in the past when I was a teenager off yeah. Greystones. I was taught how to do that. You could mm. have a couple of hundred hooks. Or if you're fishing commercially, you could have a couple of thousand hooks. My cousin uh, is a long liner out of Kodiak Island in Alaska. Mm. And he's been fishing out there for for 20 odd years. He's been in the States for over 30 and he's been commercial fishing all the time over there. And they manage their fisheries a lot better than we do. Take my word for it. And um, at the end of the day, what I would have liked to see and what I mentioned in the article, Jerry, is that this area is such a jewel uh, and it is so biodiverse in what's there. You start removing large quantities of biomass like what I've seen happen in the fisheries that I'm used to on the East Coast. Uh, and the end result of is that there's nothing there. Uh, you take the East Coast where, where I come from, Greystones, the only thing that's fished for, the only species that's fished for on a regular basis now are whelks. Mm. So shellfish. Yeah, and you know, you know, I have gone. to say to you, if you talk about the East Coast, because I'm familiar with the, where we yeah. are here in the Northeast, and I w- want to say this, and, and anglers will tell you this here, the mackerel are gone. We used to get lovely mackerel fishing off the rocks mm. in Clotterhead and on the pier. And mm. it, to all intents and purposes, they don't come inshore anymore. They're not there. There's little small fish, but not the runs that they were. And if you travel along the coast here, right. you'll see these small boats going up and down the beaches. I think they're fishing for the razors. Uh, along the beach but is that a similar is that akin to what's happening down where you are in the south well the mackerel is very complex I mean I have again family that would have been involved in the mackerel fishery which is the main mackerel port is Killybegs up in Donegal Mm. and uh, if you talk to the scientists and and I wouldn't disagree with what they're saying because with global warming uh the, the ocean currents are, are changing, and also plankton, which the fry of the mackerel and the fry of the herring would be uh, looking after as part of their food in the early stages of their development. Mm. That's moving further north. So the actual, the mackerel, so the scientists would say, are moving further north, and there seems to be clear evidence that that's the case. That said... Um, We've, the EU would be the main body that would organise w- with regard to the likes of us and the English and the Danes and whatnot that, who would fish for mackerel. And the EU would officially take out anything between half a million, uh, and it has in the past gone up to eight or 900,000 tonnes a year of mackerel from the northeast Atlantic. Now, if you're taking the half a million tonne out relative to the spawning stock, then they're managing that fishery quite well. The only difference that's happened now is as the mackerel move further north, uh, Iceland and the Faroe Islands have decided that they want a share of this stock as well because it's come into their waters. And in principle, they're entitled to it. But they started to take out 200 to 300,000 tonne on top of the half a million tonne. Now you have a potential problem. And that's where your mackerel are going. And that is... A subjective opinion of Ashley Hayden, not an objective opinion. No, but I I've know. done a lot of research on it, mm, mm. and it would appear to be that somewhere in the middle is is that's where your mackerel are going, because I've seen them disappear on the east coast as well, mm. where we used to get. 
platters of them. Any amount of them. Any amount of them. Ashley, I have to leave it there for today. I'm going to point people to your website and irishanglersworld.com. That's an irishanglersworld.com. You can check this man out. I wish you well. I'm behind you on the campaign and I'm going to contact all those organisations you mentioned there to start uh, the uh, campaign going or help you with the campaign to have these gill nets banned. Thank you for joining me on the show. Well, I'll just say, if you give me one last thing... Go on, what I'd like to can. see, What I'd like to see, Jerry, is that all stakeholders are considered in, in, the coastal, for the, in the coastal resource, that it's not just one or the other. Everybody can benefit if it's managed correctly, from commercial fishermen to tourist anglers like me. Absolutely. Well said. Ashley, nice to talk to you and tight lines for the rest of the summer. And, and you too. Take care now, Jerry, and thanks for having me on. Not at all. You're welcome. Bye-bye. The Late Lunch, brought to you by Blackstone Motors. Setting the standards higher for award-winning customer service you can trust. Visit your regional dealer for Renault and Dacia in the Northeast for exclusive offers with low-as-can-be APR finance and finance arranged within four hours. Dare to live? Tom Cardiff with us, uh, was with us top of the show. He's Secretary of Balbriggan Community Committee and we were talking about the problem with uh, herring gulls in our towns. Uh, at this time and it's exasperated uh, with the uh, sun up very early in the mornings and the long days. Uh, a listener from Drogheda onto us to say with reference to the seagulls Jerry, uh, the only way to clear them is to sign up to a premium payment plan with Rentakill. They'll put spikes onto the house and keep coming back to clear them. It really does work. I'm sure it does and that's the uh, issue with it. Remember they are protected species. I want to say that from uh, the outset here and there are means and ways of doing this as well but Balbriggan got a derogation uh, from the law and they've been able to do that remove the nest, remove the eggs and that has to be done over a period of time as you heard Tom saying there with uh, the permission of a derogation and more besides when you hear what he had to say or hear what he had to say on late lunch this afternoon you'll understand that this it won't happen overnight and it takes time to get rid of them Desi Howard's been on from Balbriggan he says he used a video of a seagull at his house on top of his car trying to pull the windscreen wiper from the car he was so determined to do it until Desi went out and ran him oh they like that they're determined by it was on the big as well Hi Jerry says Eric from Dundalk this afternoon a good shower of rain removes the seagull droppings I'm going to talk about that in a second but before that Pauline was on to say they're driving us mad Jerry especially at this time of the year up so early it's incredible the noise they make and the whole house is disturbed with them. We have them on our chimney and it's really, really annoying and it's a big problem here in Dundalk. So there's Dundalk being mentioned there. I know it's Drahad as well, Balbriggan up along the uh, coastal areas. Uh, they've moved and, uh, you know, at one time they lived in the landfill dumps and they got lots of food there. They're all closed now, so they've moved to alternative accommodation. The other thing with gulls, I'll tell you, and I know this, you won't have many more uh, of the songbirds or little birds in your garden that we all love. Because when food is in short supply, well, they're game for the gulls. That is a fact. You'll see if you have a lot of gulls round, have a look.
Uh, the little birds, the sparrows who can fly fast and that, but the middle range type of birds, like the thrush or the blackbird, uh, they do suffer. Uh, they really do. And they become prey uh, for the gulls as well. So you will be short of those type of birds in your gardens when you have a gull issue. Just on what Eric said there a moment ago uh, about their feces when they poo like all birds do and all creatures do, uh, there's a thing called antimicrobial resistance. I don't know whether you've ever heard of this. And wildlife are becoming, what would you say, with all the antibiotics that we take and they have to find their way into the uh, sewage systems and then wherever they're treated and they go beyond that, with all the uh, antibiotics used in farming as well. Ultimately, this all comes to bird life and they ingest it and then it goes through their system and then when they do their feces, if us humans come into contact with it, this resistance to antibiotics can be passed on to us. It's a fact. It has happened and does happen. And it's another part of the issue and argument as well. I'll tell you, next week on Late Lunch, we're coming back to the gulls because there's been a lot of people on to us about it uh, that have gulls resident in their, in their homes. And uh, the uh, National Parks and Wildlife Service have promised me they will have someone next week to talk to us about the law and where that's going with regard to dealing with the gull issue. So we'll pick up on that on Late Lunch, I promise you, next week. Now just reminding you again uh, for sports fans out there, it's a busy weekend as usual here on LMFM Radio Sunday, Meath and Clare, round four of the qualifiers, the full game live here on LMFM Radio with Brendan and Matty the best coverage you'll get in the land make sure you're tuned, stay with us and if you're abroad, if you know someone abroad don't forget the LMFM app or online you can listen to the game live with us here on Sunday and get it all blow for blow and good luck to Meath in that one before that this evening in the uh, the, before that this evening in the League of Ireland yes remember uh, Dundalker and Derry tonight Adrian Taff will be there it's online the commentary and I'm uh, press gang into United Park this evening yes Drogheda against Cove going for another win to keep the push for promotion going Paul Crowley will be joining me this evening on Cove commentary and you can listen to both games live uh, on lmfm.ie and don't forget Bellystown this evening and again tomorrow Saturday me- meeting in Bellystown tomorrow Saturday evening big big finale to the summer festival up there make sure you check it out if you haven't been it's real experience I promise you you'll enjoy it talking about sport and staying with sport for the final few minutes on late lunch this week after the break yes there's just one man for us and he uh, looks ahead to the sport local national and international up next it's Leon Blanche from Boyle Sports Friday wouldn't be Friday now on late lunch would it if we didn't have a chat with Leon Blanche communications manager with Boyle Sports so there's a lot going on there's a lot going on the weekend in sport local national and international straight to it Leon the League of Ireland tonight yeah, look, I think, um, Jerry. obviously it was a huge win uh, for Dundalk this day last week, beating Shamrock Rovers and giving themselves an eight-point lead at the top of the Premier Division. And they really are going from strength to strength. They've got a tricky game tonight away against Derry City, but they are favourites, Dundalk. No surprise there, of course. They're a shade of odds on at 20-23. to 23. Derry are 100-30, to 30, and the draw is 5-2. to two. But as we saw with Dundalk, their defence is so solid, they create chances it's going to be a tough night for Derry and I do feel Dundalk can come away from the Brandywell. Not the easiest of trips, but I do think Dundalk can come away with all three points. So a win in the northwest for the Lily Whites. What about the Boynesiders? I was there last week and I'll be there again tonight. Unbelievable last-minute winner against Bray Wanderers. <laughs> it brought the house down, Leon. Yeah, look, absolutely, Jerry, And what a huge victory that was. Um, they kept plugging away and they got their just rewards. 
doesn't matter when you score, it's all about getting the three points. And they did it last week, and I think they'll do it again tonight. Cove are massive underdogs at nine to one. The draw is just under four to one at fifteen to four. And draw had a very short price, but rightly so. They're seven to two on. So hopefully they can continue um, the winning streak because everybody wants to see draw had a backup in the Premier Division. Now we'll skip on to Sunday and GAA. It is one of the most important weekends in football because it is the round four qualifiers and we all know what's at stake. And there is big interest from the North East because Mead take on Clare. Yeah, look, you know, look, we all know what happened Mead in the Leinster final. Um, it wasn't a good afternoon at the office. Um, the second half performance was pretty abysmal. And they're going to have to lift their heads up. Um, they've got a chance of getting into the Super 8 and that's what it's all about. Um, they are favourites against Clare. They're four to nine. Um, this game, of course, will be played down in Port Leash, a neutral venue. But Mead are odds-on favourites, nine to four on, eight to one the draw, and Clare at five to two. The one thing I will say, Jerry, in terms of the betting, we have seen a bit of money for Clare in the handicap, plus three points. They've gone from even money into six to five on. I don't really mind. I think Mead are good enough to win this game, but they've got to forget about Dublin focus on Clare and get themselves into the Super 8. And I think if they got to the Super 8, it'd be a decent season. Um, they could maybe get a win or two, hopefully, in that Super 8. They'll be in the different group. They won't have to face Dublin. They'll more than likely face the likes of definitely Donegal. And then, obviously, the winner of Mayo and Galway will also be in that uh, group in the Super 8. But hopefully, Mead can get the job done against Clare. I think they will. I think they'll make it to the Super 8. Fingers crossed on the game live, of course, on LMFM Sunday Sport on Sunday. Now, let's move to golf and the Irish Open into the second day. And uh, the cut will happen this evening. Porrick Harrington, he's rolled back the years. And Shane Lowry, who won at Baltray 10 years ago, in the mix as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Harrington yesterday, I think he scored 63, was his round. Unbelievable round of golf. He's dropped a couple of shots today. I think he's three under at the moment. Um, so himself... And Shane Lowry. Shane Lowry's three under as well. Oh, sorry, actually, Shane Lowry finished four under. So he's tied for 11. Podrick Harrington at the moment is on the 12th hole. He's three under, tied for 18th. Our leader at the minute is Eddie Peppernell at seven under. And good to see Lee Westwood. He's six under. But in terms, looking at um, Harrington and looking at Lowry, wouldn't it be great for Lowry, especially after winning, as you rightly said, in Loud 10 years ago this weekend, I'd love to see Shane Lowry win the Irish Open again. He has the game for us. He's a very, very solid links player. And I think if he's in contention going into the final two days, I think you're going to see an awful lot of Shane Lowry. So fingers crossed we can get an Irish winner of the Irish Open. That's what it's all about. Now to racing and late lunch, we were on the hill in Belliestown for the first day of the races on Wednesday. The weather's been beautiful. The crowds are fantastic. It's best dressed ladies evening this evening and the gents as well. And of course, it's a mixed card this evening and the festival concluding tomorrow, Saturday evening, Leon. Have you anything for us for this evening? Yeah, I'm going to stick to the first part of the card, which is a flat card. Um, As you rightly said, it is split up between flats and jumps tonight and then an all jumps card tomorrow. But I'm going to go with Sunset Nova. Hopefully the sun is shining, as you rightly said, best-dressed lady, best-dressed man. But Sunset Nova in the 6.15 for Andy Slattery. I think this one should go very close. And finally, Leon, today, it's a sad day because uh, word this morning just reaching us of the passing of a real character in your game. He brought something different to television and to the whole aspect of having a flutter on the GGs and more beside John McCrerick has passed away. Yeah, look, it's very, very sad news. Um, I got to know John um, from going over racing in the UK. 
he was an absolute character. You know, he really was. He 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 loved the betting ring. That was when he felt at ease. Um, he loved the hustle and bustle. He used to call it the jungle. Um, and when the likes of Cheltenham, he just came alive. He loved the odds. Uh, he loved to see punters get one over the bookmakers, which most people do, to be fair. And um, look, it's very, very sad. Uh, he did have health issues over the last couple of years. Um, and our thoughts and our prayers go to his wife um, at this very, very sad time. But look, he will be missed. Uh, he was an integral part of kind of horse racing. And horse racing is all about having that little bet. And John McCreek definitely brought that to the screen. Um, people in their living rooms watching him on the Saturdays when he worked for Channel 4 when Channel 4 had all the racing coverage look he was he was a permanent fixture um, but uh, he will be sadly missed um, so our thoughts as I said they just go out to his family at this very very sad time Thank you very much indeed Leon for those lovely words and we remember John McCurrick this afternoon thanks indeed for the look ahead Leon and we'll see you please God on Friday next All the best Jerry. We will indeed. Back to Leon on Friday afternoon next. That's a lot on Late Lunch for today and this week. A big thank you to all our guests who joined us during the week. To you, our listeners who tune in every day. To Louise Walsh, my producer. To Eamon Doyle, ably assisted by Brian Farley, who guided me this afternoon. Have a lovely weekend. The weather's to be really good. Enjoy whatever you're doing. And if you're going to Westlife in Croke Park, have a great, great time. Here they are to say goodbye this week with World of Their Own. See you Monday. You make me feel funny when you come around. Yeah, that's what I found out, honey. What am I do without you? You make me feel happy when I leave you behind. It plays my mind now, honey. What am I do without you? Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Undaria Algae Body Oil and Undaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out 
Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.